So yeah, I can't tell you like, oh, the the point of all my activities is this and this is where I'm going because I have no clue. Um, but I can tell you like some short stories. <laughs> Как-то раз паланжерону я дарила, Только порубав на полный ход, Вдруг ко мне подходят мусора, Заплати-ка, милая, за счет Алёша-ша, Бери на полутона ниже ворот, А Рафа заправлять эх, мать, И посаживайся ближе, Брось Одессу маму вспоминать. In our final episode for the year, we talk to Ariadne Arendt about her wide-ranging art endeavours, from alter ego Murka, a Russian gangster cat DJ, to vegetable puppetry and fictional artistic movements dedicated exclusively to sandwiches. We start by talking about Ariadne's multicultural upbringing and sense of belonging. Stay tuned to the Pushkin House podcast. Actually, well, it's a difficult one because I think... But having grown up between two cultures, more or less completely, so I was born in, to Russian parents in Crimea, but actually who lived in Moscow and lived in a Russian-speaking environment until I was four and then moved to England and then English sort of became my first language in a way because I then went to school here and lost connection with Russia but then when I was a teenager I reconnected with Russia again so I think to talk about myself and to give a a biography sort of you know depends on how how I'd reconstruct that myself and I think um and I think my own opinion of my biography has changed because I'm sort of, oh, am I English? Am I Russian all the time? Kind of straddling the two. So yes. where do you place yourself in terms of... You're obviously a cosmopole, but are you Russian? Do you see yourself as... Do you perceive yourself as Russian, well, as an English person, as a Crimean? Like, where are we it's standing? It's actually here? quite handy because I think I sort of play around with it and often I say the opposite of the place that I'm in. So I think when I'm in Russia, I... I say I'm English more or and when I'm in England Russian because I guess it's what makes me different or stand out although it depends in some situations in Russia obviously you really don't want to say that you're English but um I think that often people in in Russia are often immediately suspicious if I say I'm Russian anyway because I don't look too Russian and then also I don't have very much Russian blood, maybe none at all, because even though my parents were both born in Russia and Russian-speaking, all their surnames are German, Jewish, Austrian, and everyone in my family more or less is not... I don't know if I did, like, a DNA test that isn't fashionable these days, I'd probably not be very Russian. But, yeah, so... But I think... So it's a kind of... um, patchwork of cultures and I definitely I feel very strongly connected to Russian culture even though maybe it was as a child a a bit confusing ultimately it's so beneficial and helpful to have these two contrasting cultures and points of view and it really makes you question everything and think of things from two different 
uh, viewpoints and I, and my kind of way of dealing with it as a teenager was actually to become strangely quite patriotic and nationalistic to to Russia but in this quite removed almost kitschy touristy way you know like bala like a samovar kind of thing and which i think could, but but doing that a bit tongue in cheek and self irony about where i come from and i think i've incorporated that a lot into the kind of things that i've done in life and maybe i'm now only slightly moving away from that and it's helped me to move to a place which is neither russia nor england because there i can be removed from the that kind of constant schizophrenic kind of am i russian am i english like how do i behave <laughs> as a russian <laughs> and and to just return to i don't know maybe more core values irrelevant of that culture but um it definitely informed a lot of what i did and i guess artistically it, thinking about it now it was a way to square that that whole difference and um but anyway i think now it's not that unusual and everyone's immigrating and everyone's so i think the generation sort of after me is i know so many people who where kids are trilingual, tricultural, and no one really cares, you know, oh, you grew up in one place and then moved to another, you know, big deal. It's, it, and I think that's really beneficial. From within this mixture of different cultures, we come to at least one thing that has remained persistent in Ariadne's life. Her name, after her great-grandmother, Ariadne. Don't put me down as the kind of loony mystic but I I never consciously intended it to be and but I was named after her and now I'm sort of looking back and weirdly realizing that I'm following in her footsteps in that sense that interest in animals in one way and also because I started working with clay and doing ceramics which is a relatively recent thing for me and I it was just a kind of impulse drive in me that wasn't very logical. Um, and just last, no, in, in September, I was in Moscow and I needed to make some, I was taking part in a, an art fair and needed to make some work and f- not through any conscious choice, but I said, just because I, that was the situation, I suddenly realised that I'm working in her studio using her ceramic tools from, I don't know, 70 years ago and I've got the same name and I kind of got a little bit freaked out but it was, um, yeah, so I am kind, I am following in her footsteps in certain ways but it wasn't um, intentional and I could never aspire to be anything as great and incredible as she was um, because she's kind of um, I I don't know what the right word would be maybe mascot isn't is a bit demeaning but the the, almost like a a family goddess in in our family because um, she definitely was a really strong independent incredibly 
courageous woman. She lost both her legs at the age of 30, so she was disabled in the most hard, difficult times in Russia that you can imagine, like in the 50s and 60s, and was making sculpture and travelling between Moscow and Crimea and pursued her theosophical interest, which is theosophy is um, it's a, it's a philo- philosophical and religious school which teaches the kind of p- possibility of blending all religions, like a sort of all religious like the way ecumenical churches for Christianity, I guess, and theosophy. But it's more, I mean, they definitely have more interest in Eastern religions and Hinduism. And so so my great-grandmother was a part of this theosophical subculture that existed in the Soviet Union where they had secret seminars in her house and other theosophists' houses and passed each other manuscripts which they transcribed by hand of Blavatsky and uh, her second husband was eventually sent to the gulag for being part of this um, of this secret society. Practically everyone in my family are artists. It's easier to say who isn't an artist. So even though I I never studied art, I didn't go to art school, but I kind of just grew up in an environment where I just thought it was natural to treat the surrounding world as a an installation or an art object or a performance. And I, in my childhood, I remember everything was always kind of treated with this creative approach which I guess but was then completely disconnected from anything commercial it was just a way to to be able to to enjoy your life in the grim existence that was the Soviet Union and to to I don't know recycle beach pebbles into installations or pick up sticks and paint them just because everything else that existed was so boring and and that was kind of passed on to me without even realizing so when I was 18 or something and just beginning to study and I went to Berlin I started going to Berlin and loving it and and really enjoying the the strange um uh, Russian diaspora that exists there and thinking oh why doesn't it exist in England because there I guess it's to do I, I'm not a sociologist but I guess it's to do with the different layer waves of immigration and how people immigrated and how they conglomerated and and in Berlin there's this um something which I felt very at home it's a kind of um bohemian slightly lazy slightly alcoholic poetic um subculture and they have places where they gather uh, like um they had these kind of underground bars and this these club nights russian disco where they'd play this kitschy russian music and and german people would love it and would go there and i thought oh it's such a shame london has nothing like that and then uh, I came back to London and I went to the Notting Hill Arts Club and I picked up a flyer that this thing existed in London and I had no idea and it was called Radio Gagarin. I don't know the people who ran it and then I got in touch with them and it turned out to be um, 
an ethnomusicologist called Max Reinhardt, who's not Russian at all, but kind of um, sympathetic Marxist and <laughs> lover of Eastern European music. Mm. They uh, made this night, which was completely crazy, and it was all this Eastern European, Jewish, Russian music, Balkan, Gypsy, that kind of thing, which at that time wasn't as fashionable as it is now, but mixed with performance, and they had actors and poets and film screenings and vodka and cabbages, and it was to my 18-year-old self that had just finished school then, and I'd lived in this grim suburb Croydon and had no idea what was going on in London. It was completely amazing, and... Max was just really kind and I see him as a cultural father figure of sorts because I arrived being this totally naive schoolgirl and he said, sure, join the team, join the bat, yeah, do, what can you do, anything. And then I ended up, first of all, doing really minor th- things like running their MySpace page and then I started drawing and he saw my drawings. He was like, oh, this is great, why don't you do our flyers? And then I brought him some little CD of my favourite Russian songs and he was like you put it on, you can DJ, and he just told me how to, you know, press play and pause, and then, so, um, he kind of was a really great, uh, really trusting, completely unsnobbish cultural father figure that, um, really gave me a step up in having the confidence to do weird things, and to just DJ and stuff like that. Oh, uh, and the, this coming to Murka, and then I was telling my friend, oh, I'm, go- I'm going to become a DJ, I'm going to know next month, you know, they've allowed me to play some songs and I don't know what to call myself, but I have no idea how to do any DJing things, I can't scratch. And he was like, ah, scratch. And, and I had this cat called Murka, and he was like, you should call yourself DJ Murka because cats scratch, but you don't scratch and something like that. And then I thought, oh, yeah, I could work with that. And um, then I thought that I could make myself this cardboard cat mask. And, um, yeah, Murka is... Uh, my my favourite music was um, this kind of gangster, Odessan, Jewish... Uh, Bletnyak, it's called in Russian, kind of a melodramatic gangster love ballads, I think is the best description, which is very, very lowbrow, and my mother uh, kind of frowns whenever I mention it, and can't believe that her daughter likes that kind of music. But um, so, uh, and there's a famous song of that genre, which is also called Murka, and Murka is a very popular cat name, and so it all kind of came together. Um, Introducing Theater Bosch, performing crime and radishment. <coughs> All great vegetables must from their very nature be criminals. <laughs> So it's a Russian vegetable puppet theatre where all the actors are vegetables and we use an old suitcase as a stage and we put on very condensed versions of classic Russian literature uh, such as our hit Anna Karatenina. Um also Eugene Onyonegin was one of them, Crime and Radishment um, what else did we have? Oh, we did a version of 
um, goggles, the overcoat, which we call the articlic. Sometimes the vegetable puns don't work as well. <laughs> um, and so, and also often we will then recycle the actors after the performance uh, and make them into a soup that we serve the audience. And I do it together with my um, university friend Rosanna Durham and uh, we often invite a musician but we've collaborated a lot with the violinist Maya Kardish who's been very helpful um, yeah so it's just a, a, a fun project that kind of uh, it grew out of um, me meeting someone who was also working with vegetables as a clown and I was really inspired by it and I thought about vegetables as uh, as potential puppets and I think I wanted to do something um, kind of, I don't know how you'd put it, something kind of crafty, grassrootsy, but um, also I think actually what, what uh, drove me a lot was the fact that I... Um, always felt that I had this um, l- lacuna in terms of Russian literature and was a bit embarrassed about it because I went to school in England and sort of never really read that much Russian literature and I thought maybe doing these plays would be a good way of acquainting myself with the classics and actually doing something useful with them. The sandwich banale was also a spur of the moment um, idea, which grew out of uh, me taking part in an exhibition here, actually on Pushkin House, before I had any connection with Pushkin House, like I do now. Um, and I painted some small paintings of Russian food, including sandwiches. And then I just started thinking about sandwiches and saw some other artists that, weirdly, it's kind of a, a theme for, for artists. Um, the Blue Noses, these famous jesters from Siberia, kind of conceptual jesters, have a funny series of um, where they make sandwiches that look like suprematist paintings where they put cut the sausages and cheese to look like sort of Malevich or something um, so uh, and then I just thought oh that would be funny I, I guess I wanted to I, I was also I was studying history of art and and in this working in a contemporary art gallery and observing the world of contemporary art and it, it, it irritated me how serious the tool was and I think I, I wanted to do something that was tongue-in-cheek and kind of mocking it in a friendly way and all these biennales everywhere and Moscow was really obsessed with its biennale oh, it's so fancy and all these international artists and all this difficult technical contemporary art lingo being thrown around and so I think I kind of uh, it was just a small exhibition in this nice gallery that I still collaborate with in Moscow and I wrote to basically all the artists that I knew had sandwiches or thought or were I was friendly with and and everyone thought it was a fun idea and contributed to works to it and it was actually 
really popular with the press. I think the press were also so bored of the Biennale. It was just mauled by TV journalists. And yeah, so it was fun. Thank you for listening to the Pushkin House podcast. I'm Boromir Totev. Until next time, for more Russian culture on the move. И лезон целоваться, просил тебя отдаться, А ты в ответ кивала головою. Однажды поздно вечером я стал вам на пути, Узнав меня, ты сразу побледнела.